This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Sirius XM, Tone 132 Business Radio that's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smithers, professor at Wharton uh, here in Philadelphia. And we're still taping segments on Zoom until we can safely begin live shows from the studio. But in the meantime, you can always go to my website, kentonmoney.com, especially if you're looking for a fee-only uh, financial advisor. So Open enrollment for health, your healthcare plans and many healthcare plans are is under the underway right now. In fact, wraps up this month for most of us. And my guest today uh, says there are some benefits you may want to consider since we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And Jessica Dickler is uh, is a writer and editor who covers personal finance for CNBC.com. And prior to joining uh, CNBC, she worked for CNN money as well as smart money and wall street journal as well jessica uh, great to have you back to your money hi thank you for having me so uh, just some definitions first you know open enrollment <laughs> uh some people you know they get this stuff from hr in the mail and they just kind of toss it away <laughs> explain quickly what open enrollment is right so that's exactly what happens but most employees have a window of opportunity if they want to make some changes to their employee their employee benefits and it's usually over a period of a few weeks from about November to mid October so we're kind of nearing the end of that opportunity and that's why um, this is a good chance to kind of check in with your benefits and see what you may want to change obviously a lot has changed for most workers and their expenses are likely very different, um, particularly around healthcare, or could be different going forward. Yeah, yeah. In particular, uh, just to clarify, yeah, the open enrollment it often goes into uh, for many plants into December, which is why we're talking about it right now as well. And in the middle of it, for many many plans out there, uh, including some of the of uh, the health uh, the marketplace uh, through the through the government. So, you know, certainly pandemic, you know, a lot of people have deferred their treatment, elective procedures. And we know, you know, putting aside the issue there, that there's a healthcare costs associated with, with, with that deferment in terms of life and health and, and so forth. Um, but that should actually potentially impact, you know, their costs, their medical costs coming in this next year. So any type of estimates you guys have done about that or, you know, what, what, what you're thinking there in terms of the size of that deferment? Well, well, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, on, on a large scale, most people haven't been going to see their doctors or doing their routine medical visits or um, they may not be using daycare or they are using daycare if they're working from home. And there's a lot of expenses around your employee benefits that could be different this year. Um, and at the same time, the cost of your health insurance is going up. Um, it goes up every year and this year is no, expect, is no exception regardless yeah. of the public health crisis. So there were some estimates that um, average, average annual family premiums for employer-sponsored health insurance rose about 4% to over $21,000 this year. Um, and also the, the amount that workers pay, that's their employee contribution, that has gone up as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, if you're a healthcare plan and you have all this deferment, I mean, in some sense you've made up this year, but you should be expecting that everybody's going to be signing up for the most generous plans the next year with the lowest deductible and so forth in order to kind of take advantage, you know, take advantage of the, you know the, the genera- more generous plans um, and uh, therefore you know get all their treatment done. I mean, have you are you hearing this from the scuttlebutt of different health insurance that they're they're expecting people to sign up for the kind of the most generous plans that have the lowest deductibles and lowest out-of-pocket costs? Yeah, it does seem like that is going to be the case. I mean, what's happened over the years is that people have basically stripped down their plans. They're paying a yeah. largely for a high deductible plan. So that ha- that is less coverage for them and then they pay more out of pocket. But you probably don't necessarily want to do that now that you know that your costs will go up next year. You may you know have to catch up on some doctor's visits or you might have an illness or you know get sick. All those things are um, factors you want to consider. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so would you say that most people with employer-sponsored health insurance, uh, I mean, they certainly have been used to just letting the benefits roll over. Why do you say there's, you know, it's maybe not a good idea this year uh, to do that? In particular, you know, would you say that most people with the health employer-sponsored health insurance have have been just getting used to their letting their benefits roll over, and you know, certainly probably not a good idea to do it this year. Exactly. I mean, there was one um, estimate that that found that your medical costs could balloon by about ten percent above what you were paying before corona the coronavirus outbreak. So that would be the highest rate of medical cost inflation in over a decade. Um, that's reason mm-hmm. enough to check in a little bit you know, spend a little bit more time looking at your plan, what you can do differently, and more importantly, ways you can save some money. I mean, there are there are some opportunities in there, and that's why you don't want to just kind of roll with what you've done before. Your costs are going to go up, and you can mitigate that in other areas. Yeah, yeah. Well, t- talk about deductibles. You kind of gave a hint about this. I mean, are, are they going up? You know, how, how should people, you know, be planning uh, against those deductibles, how much they can afford. Right. So the deductible is the amount you pay before your insurance kicks in, just for starters. And that, um, just like your insurance premiums, that, that number goes up too. So in 2020, the average deductible was about 1600 and that's um, double what it was a decade ago. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably averaging in some of these higher deductible plans in that analysis. Yeah, that's the average for a single deductible. Yeah, and it's in some sense, you know, economists love these high deductible plans because they encourage people <laughs> to certainly think about trade-offs of going to the doctor every time while still providing these catastrophic layers. So I think, you know, this movement toward high deductible plans will certainly continue because of the cost savings there. But there are certainly uh, some medical plans out there, at least for seniors, you know, uh, with no monthly premium, in some cases, no deductible. So, you know, talk about like Medicare Advantage and all those types of things. I mean, because those seem like, you know, uh, uh, very generous plans. Well, that's right. I mean, those are the kind of things that you um, really want to be taking advantage of right now, particularly for seniors, because their costs are going to go, their costs are going to go up 
anyway, but also the likelihood of getting sick has gotten much greater. So, um, so that's something that you want to, you know, obviously check in about, but also look at, um, you know, what would happen in the case of um, a COVID-19 illness, you know, how would you be protected then? Yeah. Yeah. And in the case of Medicare Advantage, there's some, certainly some issues about once you elect it, you know, uh, you're there. Um, and if you want to, uh, not have medical underwriting in the future. You can't just revert back to you know standard Medicare. So let's talk about health savings accounts and flexible spending accounts. I mean, uh, certainly first define what are those differences and you know the requirements and so forth. And do do they still seem like a good idea? Uh, uh, you know, in the post or maybe in an ongoing COVID environment. Yeah, they are absolutely a good idea because it's a way to save in a tax advantaged way. So with a health savings account, you can put pre-tax money in and that and you can use that money to cover all those out-of-pocket expenses, including all the doctor's visits that you may want to have in 2021 and the prescription and prescription drugs and even trips to the pharmacy for you know just regular supplies. So um, so that's a really great way where you can kind of shave some of your medical costs and and um, like we were saying earlier, kind of counterbalance what you're paying um, towards your plan. Um, this is a way to save on, on some of your overall expenses, but to be able to use a health savings account, you have to be in one of those high deductible health plans. So um, so first, if you have that kind of plan, then you can save in a health savings account. And any money that you don't use gets rolled over year over year. And that's a great way to kind of build up a, um, a savings account to cover medical costs. Flexible spending accounts are a little bit different. Um, you still have the tax advantages of putting pre-tax money into an account, but you don't need a high deductible plan to have a flex savings account. And there's also a lower contribution limit. So this year you could save about $2,700 in a flex spending account. And then, um, and then you can use that money um, towards some medical expenses, but there's also separately um, a dependent care flex savings account, which is great if you are using daycare right now or plan to use daycare in 2021, depending on what your ah. work situation is going to be um, and whether you are working from home or your children are at home, more importantly. So like if they're in remote school, for example, you may need daycare where you didn't before and you can put money in a flex savings account and that money can be used um, towards the daycare or preschool or whatever it is, um, any any of those expenses. And you can set aside up to five thousand dollars a year and that would be um, that would be totally with um, tax save, you know, tax advantaged savings money. Yeah. Um, the difference though Yeah, the, and that's a great yeah, sorry. I did want to mention one other thing about a flex savings account, which is important to say, yeah. is that you cannot roll over that money year after year. So you have to be a little bit more careful yeah. about how much you're putting in. You want to put in, you know, what you're going to use in that year, um, because it's typically a use it or lose it situation. Although some employers are relaxing those rules a little bit, particularly um, at the end of this year. So if you have money in a flex savings account and you haven't used it, there may be a grace period. That's something you want to look into. Um, your employer could be giving you another two or so months to use the money in that account. Yeah. And I think it, 
that's a great point about uh, daycare, especially, you know, as uh, kids go back to daycare after uh, vaccine distribution, hopefully in the spring uh, uh, time. And, you know, when it comes to health savings accounts, so many people think, well, that's just for younger people who don't have a lot of health, you know, health problems. And, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm planning on, you know, going to the doctor a lot, the HSA is just, you know, not good for me. And in fact, when you do the math, it's still, even for the high spenders, the HSAs are typically a, a pretty good deal, um, partly because, um, you know, employers really want to encourage people to use these things and control for that moral hazard problem. And they're often very generous. I, I know here at Penn, almost under any condition, you're better off with the health savings account relative to the other options. So you also mentioned, talked about in your article, uh, writing recently about life insurance. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, people get interested in life insurance policies during times like, like this. I mean, part of that, of course, you know, when it comes to actual on an aggregate level, mortality risk associated with COVID has been pretty low. And uh, from a say, social security perspective level and things like that. But situations like this, I think just get people thinking, you know, about their life. And, you know, it's the extent that they were underinsured in the past, maybe they are, you know, just this is kind of kick them in the keister to get you know start thinking about this as as something that that uh, that they should consider. I mean, so do you think this is kind of a good time to, to be signing up for life insurance? Is it um, you know, is it maybe a, a overreaction or is it the type of, you know, kick in the can that people need to, since we know a lot of people were underinsured in this, um, uh, in this case, uh, for life insurance to begin with. And what do you think about, in particular, employer-based life insurance? I think this is absolutely a good time. And this is, like you said, a good kick in the can to think about life insurance. Um, it's typically one of those areas of your benefits that people don't really give much weight to. But of course, um, you know, right now it's something that we do need to think about. Just in worst case scenario, Americans are generally under, um, you know, they they have policies that really don't um, meet their needs. And a typical rule of thumb is that you should have a life insurance policy that. Um, is seven to 10 times your annual income to protect your family in the case of a financial fallout. And, um, and this is a, a really good time to kind of just check in with that um, and see how you stack up. Because even if you do have a life insurance policy through work, chances are it's just a fraction of what you need. And you can either um, you know, boost that policy through your workplace, or you can shop for your own term life insurance policy, which is something that Many financial advisors, um, they recommend going that route. I mean, that's a really good way to kind of make sure yeah. you're fully covered in, you know, like we said, in the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. And as, as you hinted toward that, I mean, the, the problem with also the employer-based ones is, you know, once you leave the employer, it may not be, you know, moving with you. And so um, it's, you know, getting your own term policy directly and getting that rating, um, that risk rating, uh, while you're still young, younger, is always certainly a great idea. So, mm -hmm. Jessica, fantastic once again. Uh, a, a great talking with you. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy we get to talk about this. I think it's a really important topic right now. And we, like we said, there's only um, a short window where you get to check in with what you're getting through work and if it really meets your needs. Excellent.
And you can read uh, Jessica's coverage of personal finance by going to the website, cnbc.com. Again, uh, Jessica Dickler, and you can also follow her on Twitter at the handle at jdickler, D-I-C-K-L-E-R. And I'm Kent Smothers, your Monday Business Radio Series XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 